All right, this is The Yay. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! We have a fantastic guest, Bridget Dutta-Portman. How are you, Bridget? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Bridget Dutta-Portman is a, um, a playwright, and her, she, has, she has had plays uh, featured here in the Bay Area as well as uh, overseas in the U.K. I believe you also said... Um, it's one of those European countries. Um, is Wales. It? Wales. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, it's awesome. It's fantastic. And uh, you had a piece at the um, the Playwright Center for San Francisco, a wonderful piece. I talked about it a couple of podcasts ago, Mr. the Bear, which I thought was just absolutely fantastic. Thank you. I tried to give it just to talk about, you know, the plot. And it's only a 10-minute play, but it deals with death. It deals with closure. It deals with um, comforting Deal, yeah, I guess just dealing with uh, a loss and moving forward. Right. Yeah. And I think it's uh, it's one of your specialties. Uh, from I talked with Von Scott Bear, who was also on the Yay, and we talked about uh, just off mic some of the other things that you've done, and it's sort of a theme of yours that, yeah. that you focus. I think on. it really is. I was uh, mentioning to you before <coughs> the show. Um, a lot of teenagers go through like a emo kind of goth phase where they get a little obsessed with death. Mm -hmm. um, I went through that for some reason in my mid to late 20s, mm -hmm. and I was just fascinated by mortality yeah. and death. Mm. Um, I did it. I did some research on it, too, um, when I was in grad school for political science. You researched um, death? A little bit, yeah. I, I researched how death and political attitudes intertwine. Oh, interesting. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was, it was a, an interesting study. Yeah. Um, but I think out of that came my interest in, in writing plays that have to do with death and, and grief and dying. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, I've been fortunate in my life. Like, I haven't lost anybody really close to me. So mm -hmm. that hasn't been something that, on a personal level, I've really had to, s to struggle yeah. with yet. But I Unfortunately, think not yet. Not I, yet. I, yeah. yeah, but we all do, and we all die. And I think that's one thing that's um, most interesting to me about it. It's something that unites all of humanity. I think mm -hmm. so. Right? Throughout the ages, right? Yeah. We all want to die. We all are going to die. Nobody wants to. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. As I begin our, our every, every podcast, how was your week, Norman? Wild. Uh, you know, is, is there a quiet week? There is. Somewhere there is a quiet week, but it wasn't this one. No, I um, I just got back from L.A. I was in L.A. a That's week right. ago. How's your mom doing? My mom is recovering. My yeah. mom had a stroke. And okay. so she's recovering. Um, physically, she's fine. Um She's got to be careful about her ex levels of excitement, <coughs> and uh, and she occasionally drifts into gibberish, mm -hmm. <laughs> which she's mm -hmm. conscious of, and just because of the family I'm from, <laughs> I brought down a word game, and so we played this word association game, and it was so funny because she was struggling for words, but mm. she was so engaged and excited, and eventually got a pad and paper because it was easier for her to there's still a few letters where her brain mm -hmm. knows the sound or knows the word but it can't she can't yeah. get it out of her mouth yeah and she's so she's still stumbling a little bit but mostly she's back and the weirdest thing the most fun and so um her birthday she was 75 last saturday oh fantastic um and we were going to be throw a big surprise party before the stroke and yeah. then we canceled that and then I had already gotten tickets. My sister had already gotten tickets. Mm -hmm. We were all flying in. So we were like, well, we'll have a family thing. And my mom heard about it and said, well, I want the kids to be there, too. And we're talking great-grandkids. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we had some great-grandkids, a bunch of adult grandkids, and uh, and us. Um, my brother 
hosted and my sister flew in with her daughter and her granddaughter <laughs> who I hadn't met yet so that was all exciting and wonderful um, I brought as a little sort of I don't know party favor I love the dollar store dollar store has weird stuff all the time and I go to the toy aisle because there will be things there that are just amazing <laughs> like I have a balsa wood um, one of the little <laughs> glider planes you know, the ones I remember from when I was a kid. Yeah. I saw them and I was oh, like, oh, yeah. I grabbed those. So this time I went in and there were uh, mustaches. <laughs> okay. Seven mustaches. Yeah. So I went ahead and I got two packs of mustaches. And I just brought them down and put them on the table. And the next thing I knew, they were open. And the next, I've got pictures <laughs> of most of yeah. us in mustaches. Yeah. My mom even tried to put a mustache on her little dog. Oh, how nice. <laughs> so it was a great visit. But, you know, yeah. to touch on what you were talking about um, with death, um, it's sort of a wake-up call. And, you know, everybody's going, well, she's recovered. That's good. As if, like, <clears throat> that's over. And it's like, no, 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 that's not over. That was sort of the the preface. <laughs> right. We are headed in a direction. We don't know where we're going. We don't know how we're going to get there. But we know it's coming. And, and you know, and it's fun, fun, funny, weird in that it might be her first but something could happen to one of us. Something could happen to one of the kids. You mm, don't yeah. know, and there's no predicting, right. so you better just appreciate the time. Right. Yeah. Was, I'm glad I went. It was fantastic. I came <clears> back, <throat> and the next day I did a reading. <laughs> um, Everyday Alice with Utopia Theater mm-hmm. um, at the Dragon Theater, which I'd never been uh-huh. to. It's ah. a cute space. They're a wonderful theater, yeah. Yeah, I really want to work down there. Um, so, But you know, my brain really was just not in that world. And then I came back, and it was like, I'm my brain is in the right world because my brain is just sort of in this weird mix of what's going on and what's next, and that is Alice. There's nothing more Alice than that. So, oh, of course, of course, yeah. yeah. The play um, takes Alice in Wonderland and Peter Pan and puts them together in a modern context in a relationship. Peter Pan is that guy who, when things start to get a little complicated or tricky, he goes off on an adventure. <laughs> Alice keeps having these weird flights of fancy, which we call mental illness, and she's actually being treated for it at the beginning mm. of the play. Ah. Interesting way to kind of yeah. go into that story. So I was like, okay, I'm in the right world. And I played the caterpillar, among other things. Uh-huh. I was like, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> How cute. Wow, that's fantastic. So, yeah, that's that's been my world. And other than that, it's just been yard work. I started a new compost pile. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, we did our – Harvested <coughs> our first compost to put it on. Had to create a place for it because mm-hmm. we we did our first one. We got a composter and we mm-hmm. did our first thing and we pulled it all out and we put it in bags. Mm-hmm. And then when we got ready to garden this spring, my wife pulled the bags out and she said the worms are either comatose or they're dead. Mm. <laughs> oh. So I read about it and yeah, plastic bag not a good thing. So um, <laughs> right. instead now we have a mound and uh-huh. it's covered up with a tarp and that yeah. should be worm heaven and. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, remember, I remember the wonderful analogy you had, Norman, uh, comparing new Bay Area theater to compost, where, you know, some will <laughs> rise I, up. I, I feel like all Bay Area theater is, is that world of compost. Um, mm-hmm. If you've ever seen a compost pile, it just becomes green at a certain point, especially if it's open to the air. Okay. It just grows, and suddenly it blossoms, and then it chokes itself out. And only the hardiest plants survive. And I was like, ah. that's Bay Area Theater. Because I'm sure there are more companies that I'm aware of that don't exist anymore than there are existing companies. I'm sure there are. I'm sure you're right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and so yeah. it's interesting. To see, and it's not 
I've seen work by people. Um, there was a company, I think they were called Women in Time. Amazing work. Gorgeous, gorgeous work. And they only lasted for maybe two or three seasons. Mm. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. And the company I always talk about is, um, I think it was called Revolution, and they were playing off of Evolution. Um, and uh, it was uh, three Asian-American guys. They did a play called Texas, which was a modern play about three Asian-American guys in Texas. It was, it was a cute little play. Um, within two months, two of them were in L.A. The other one was there within six months. Mm. Yeah, you do get a lot of these companies where it's one and done. They've cre- they are created just to, cr- to do one play, yeah. and then boom, it's over. Yeah, like uh, Debbie Does Dallas. You know mm-hmm. that was uh, what a company, Stroke of Genius Productions, a subsidiary of Ray of Light Theater. Right, do okay. it one and done, and then boom, everyone's yeah. everyone's out of there. And if you accomplish, oh, go ahead. I was th- on the other hand, there are as a, as a new playwright, mm-hmm. um, I have found that there are a lot of opportunities for getting your work seen. Oh, mm-hmm. good. So, yeah. Definitely so a lot of those little a lot of those little companies um, do have opportunities for, for people like me who mm-hmm. maybe, you know, don't have ties to some of the bigger theaters. So. Right. Yeah. And I've never been involved in the theater community in any other area, so mm-hmm. I can't really compare. Oh. Um, yeah. Well, that's um, okay. We'd love to hear about this. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, as, you know, I, I came into – I'm not originally from the Bay Area. Uh-huh. Uh, I grew up in um, the Pacific Northwest. Oh, cool. Kind of uh, Seattle. Area yeah. um, wasn't really involved in theater up there. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't get involved in theater, even really interested in theater until I came down to California. I was mm-hmm. in Irvine for a while, yeah. um, and then I, uh, when I came up here to the to the Bay Area, mm-hmm. um, part of it was due to the, the Playwright Center of San Francisco. But I, I found it easy to um, to get my work up on its feet and mm-hmm. seen. So I think that there are a lot of opportunities here. Um, for new playwrights with some of these smaller companies. <coughs> but yeah, yeah, especially recently, like with um, Playground, uh, mm-hmm. we've talked about, um, what is it, uh, Piano Fight. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, there are lots of uh, companies that are open to new, like I think about Central Works, you know, they're right. bringing in new works, either works that they're working on or new that works they're that they're, they're bringing in. Or they're in. inviting in. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So yeah, That's we'll get great. into an origin story, um, and I've been I've been busy as well. I, I just finished doing the playwright center for San Francisco. And so what, uh, three rounds you did? I did three rounds. Okay. <laughs> tell, tell us about them. Break it down. <laughs> well, I mean, no, there's some wonderful one act plays. Of course, we have Bridget Dutta Porman, and next week we'll have Lisa Kang, uh, who uh, did a wonderful uh, piece. Uh, I think it's called. Um, uh, story of days or something like that it was very abstract mm-hmm. very surreal and mm-hmm. she deals with surrealism mm-hmm. and at first when i looked at it, i was like oh for goodness sake why am i glad i have to do this uh-huh. but then when we actually did it and got it on his feet i was like okay now i understand what's going on mm-hmm. uh she her writing reminds me a lot of carol churchill mm-hmm. okay especially far and away mm-hmm. there's a wonderful piece far and away which deals with war but it talks about it in abstract terms like the birds are fighting with the caterpillar and the caliper was fighting with the wind. Uh, and and right. it's, you know, for a standard audience, it goes way over your head. But if your mind is open enough to take it in and try to understand it, mm-hmm. then you can get something out of it. Right. So, right. you know, there was that. Um, um, so there are some wonderful pieces. So let's see. There were nine, nine pieces per week. Mm-hmm. Two were chosen. So two, four, six. And then they chose another two, so there'll be so eight. So these were shorts? These yeah. were shorts. These okay, were ten-minute okay. plays. Ten minutes, okay. Yeah. Cool. And uh, so, you know, we have the script. We only have two days to rehearse. Right. And then we put it on its feet on uh, on a Sunday, and that's what we basically did. Mm-hmm. And then the audience gets to choose at right. the end 
hey, out of the nine, what two do you want to see performed uh, in uh-huh. November? Uh-huh. And so in November at the Shelton Theater, right, uh, we'll have the, uh, the the finalists. That's great. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic, and uh, it's a wonderful experience for the playwrights. Mm-hmm. And, um, and which ones did you do? <laughs> mine was selected. I think three of mine were mm-hmm. selected. Our good friend David Stein, his uh-huh. got selected. Okay. And his dealt with um, two immigrants mm-hmm. who are coming across the border and uh-huh. dealing with an ICE agent. Mm-hmm. Canadians, right? No, not Canadians. <laughs> very funny. <laughs> not Canadians. No, they, they were uh, Latino. And it deals with the sort of mentality. There's uh, basically one Latino who... Um, has a dream, a nightmare, really, about dealing with ice, and it talks about how mentally it affects oh, wow. ice uh-huh. de- uh, deals affects Mexicans who are crossing the border. Sure, and it's a subject matter that isn't really taught uh, talked about right. as far as the mentality. So you have that. Um, a good friend of mine, um, Marsha Roberts, mm-hmm. um, she had a wonderful comedy piece, Logan Comes of Age, basically about a millennial. Who has to get off his butt and actually gets to work? Wait, and it's you wonderful played comedy. a millennial. Yes, I did. <laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> so that was fun. Yeah, I love those things where yeah. I can just sort of act like a kid and and what have you. Mm-hmm. Then there's twelve twenty five, uh, which was uh, written about basically two individuals who were um, who were captured by uh, Al Qaeda, uh, mm-hmm. ISIS, and dealing with that and dealing with this, this stress of uh, being detained. You don't know what's going to happen within the next day, but they're trying to find, what does Martin Luther King say, out of a mountain of despair, a stone of hope, just find some little bit of peace and closure Mm -hmm. uh, in a struggling situation. Hmm. And there were a bunch of others. uh, But I had a wonderful experience. Um, Radhika Rao, Mm -hmm. uh, another person who was on the age, directed us. Um, So great talent, uh, great writing, Mm -hmm. great acting. I Mm -hmm. got to connect with a couple of folks. We'll have a one-man Carrie Ann Bosco, who's a fantastic actress. She'll be on with us, I think, in two weeks. Oh, okay. So great. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Let's jump into some current events. So I, let's I, let's <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's happened this week. <laughs> exactly. Oh, every yeah. time, I, yeah. Every yeah. time I like, <coughs> check the news in the morning, I come I'm, like bracing myself. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. like, have yeah, to. yeah. <laughs> We're at an age where. I used to pick up the Washington Post, like, okay, I want to read the news, so let me read the news. Now, it's like push notifications. Like, we don't care if you want to see it. Boom, this Mm -hmm. is it. Either what crazy thing has happened or what denials of the crazy thing that happened yesterday are we going to have to sift through. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) There's some fun stuff. Sasha Cohen, Sasha Baron Cohen. Oh, is there another one this week? He is just fantastic. Sheriff Apario. He I got him. Yeah, he pumped yes, him. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. No. What did he do? I didn't. I'll let you tell. Uh, I'll let you tell the story. Actually, I'm trying to remember now. So um, basically, he pretends he that he is a um, Israeli, a Swedish. Yeah. Well, he he does that too, but he's oh. pretending that he's a Swedish YouTuber. Oh. Okay. Who's uh, opening up toys, like an unboxing for toys, and he pretends that these toys, like oh, you know, little Jimmy, he's holding up this little toy. He doesn't like guns. What do you say, Sheriff Apario? Uh-huh. And he's telling these dolls, right? <laughs> no, you should have a toy because you should have a gun because you know your best friend Billy may flip out and have a gun, and you need to shoot him, or you mm-hmm. need to have someone to shoot mm-hmm. him. And he's doing this on live TV, right? Thinking that he's doing an unboxing for right. little kids, right? Right? Yeah. right. And yet yeah. he gets Sheriff Apario to talk about all this stuff, uh-huh. and all of a sudden Sheriff Apario in the middle. Oh, that's right. He walked out. Realizes. Oh, oh wait a did. minute. 
he's an anti-gun activist. I just got punked. And he realized yeah. it, yeah. Yeah. Well, there have, there have been even worse ones. I, I can't remember which, um, it, you know, it was some conservative Republican Congress person. Yeah, some state congressman from Georgia. Yeah. 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 yeah, where he got him to, like, uh, talk about having guns literally for preschoolers. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yep. this program of, like, guns hidden in teddy bears and stuff yeah. that are, mm-hmm. are for preschoolers. Oh, I've seen yeah. it. It's yeah, absolutely it's insane. It's horrifying yeah. to watch. <laughs> but the bigger story is... He's, you know, like people like Sarah Palin have said, oh, this is just horrible. Look at these liberal, you know, comedians making fun (laughs) of us. But this is sort of – so we've seen the protest in the traditional sense. Mm -hmm. Stoneman Douglas kids, Emma Gonzalez, you know, marching. Mm -hmm. But then you have the protest of sort of the, the, you know, like the comedians who are just punking these these folks, getting them on camera to (laughs) speak truth. Right, true about what they really feel. Well, comedy yeah. focuses on that mm-hmm. absurdity, and there's nothing more absurd right now than the American politic. It's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, the I level mean, of denial is huge. It is. I think it's. I think it's wonderful what he's doing, and I mean, yeah. he try. He does it to uh, not just conservatives. Like he tried to get Bernie Sanders. Oh yeah, and right. Bernie Sanders didn't fall for it. He's like, right. what are you talking about? This is nonsense. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it sounds like he's directing. I mean. You have some – I have no problem with being conservative, and I have no problem with – if you're going to be a Republican, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like Mitt Romney, I, you know, I wouldn't vote for Mitt Romney, but he's he's what I would call the Rockefeller Republican. Right. He's focused on the money, being fiscally conservative. Right. But I wouldn't necessarily say but that he – And he also wants to take care of people. Right. Just like his, his dad, George Romney. You mm-hmm. know, George Romney was the head of HUD during the Nixon administration right. mm-hmm. and got thrown out by Nixon because he wanted to house – Provide affordable housing mm-hmm. for minorities, right? And you know, Nixon was like, "No, I, I, we don't want to hear that." So there are conservative, but then you have this other brand, the right. alt, alt alt right, 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 and they need to be called out on. And that's becoming yeah. like they're the ones that are becoming more mainstream conservative now too. Right. Like even if you look at somebody like Reagan, yeah. like Reagan today would be considered by by them uh, probably like a liberal, right. you know? Yeah. yeah. So they're moving in this more extreme direction that's really troubling. Yeah. Do you do you really feel that, Bridget? Do you feel that this has become the new normal for, I, the, I do. for the Republican yeah, Party? Yeah, I, t- I do, and it's scary. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of that is it does have to do with Trump as well because he's starting to normalize these things. Yeah. yeah. I feel I, like I used to teach um, political science. Wow. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I feel bad for students now that mm-hmm. are like, um, you know, coming of age politically because – they're going to think that this is normal, yeah. right. you know, and like this is how presidents behave, and this right. is, and it's not normal. And like, so I, um, I ended up um, stepping down from that job. Mm-hmm. I do, I do hope to teach again in the future, but um, I took a break to, to raise my son. Um, but I got out like just as Trump was running for office, yeah. mm-hmm. and I was trying to point out to students like, you know what, this the things he's saying, this is not normal. This mm-hmm. is just not normal, right? And then it, of course, it just got way worse from there. Right. So like, yeah. I'm kind of glad that i'm not teaching now because i would Mm -hmm. just i feel bad for for these students right i've always felt that after 2020 this will all sort of go away Mm -hmm. because trump you know like people will sort of come to their senses and say hey we need to vote for someone who's competent i mean we've had these yeah but uh, i would wonder because you know your history yeah um wilson woodrow wilson it seems to me yeah Right afterwards, yeah. we just got quiet about it. We went League of Nations. We're going to ignore Birth yeah. of a Nation, and yeah. we're going to let him be. So that there was a period where he was actually considered to be one of the better presidents. And currently, it's like, wait a minute, racist, major racist. 
you know, it's funny about Wilson. I will get a little wonky here because mm-hmm. Wilson, um, he was the first president to be a uh, to have a Ph.D. Right. He was the um, the president of uh, Princeton. Yeah. At the time, it was the uh, the College of uh, New Jersey at the time. Mm-hmm. But he would have never been president if not Teddy Roosevelt had not split the ticket with uh, yeah. the incurrent, mm-hmm. the right. incumbent president, William Howard Taft. Right, right. Who never really wanted to be president, but he was sort of pushed in by Teddy Roosevelt. Right. America was very, very conservative and very Republican. Mm-hmm. This was still sort of the um, the Gilded Age. Right. Where you didn't come, you didn't, you didn't, um, you didn't, what am I trying to say? You didn't campaign to the mass of people. Oh, right, yeah. You campaigned to the big folks mm. right. who told their subordinates. Yeah, who the told party the bosses. People, yeah. yeah. Listen, get your people to vote for whatever. You know, mm-hmm. women weren't even voting then right. at the time. Right, right. Wilson, yes, he, the League of Nations, you know, he really wanted to, you know, he was sort of the president that had to deal with the world. Right. As opposed to just, you know, local politics. Right. But he was still a racist. Yeah. I still remember the League of Nations. I mean, I'm sorry, a birth of a nation. Right. Uh, and you know he he was a southern well he was a northern he was a he was a northern democrat but he still had to appease the southern mm-hmm. democrats, democrats who were still right. very antebellum southerners right yep dealing with you know um, well we, we won't touch lynching and all that sort of stuff right yeah. when I think of a progressive president sort of more well, I think about Teddy Roosevelt Teddy Roosevelt could have changed his well, entire he's, party he's progressive all I was pointing to was yeah just yeah yeah. You're saying, what are we gonna? How are we gonna look back on this period? And I think, unfortunately, we'll go through a period of just ignoring it the way you ignore ignore a fart. Mm-hmm. And then later on, we'll talk about. Well, he was really gassy, but <laughs> you know, I hope it happens in our lifetime. I just mm-hmm. don't think it's gonna happen in in the well, next campaign, yeah. in yeah. the next presidency. Well, let's, let's I hope so much that we get him out in 2020. I hope so nice. much he doesn't last till then. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're we're moving in on him. It's yeah. Well, <coughs> yeah I'm, I've been following the Manafort trial, yeah. and there's some interesting things coming out. Mm-hmm. I don't get into the salacious stuff like um, right. somebody was cheating on. You know, I guess it was revealed by <coughs> one witness. I gotta admit that I cheated on my wife, and right. maybe his relationship is destroyed or whatever. Oh, right, and he was using funds. To right, exactly. Finance it. I, yeah. You know, I want to know. Hey, do you have any ample evidence that Trump knew mm-hmm. about the Russian connection? Yeah. The yeah. connection. Yeah. Well, I mean, Trump just admitted on Twitter that yes, the Rush, the Trump Tower meeting was about getting dirt on Hillary. Like yep. he just See? admitted it. He did. Yeah. And then nobody's really talking about that because he's normalized all this. Right. Yeah. And also on today's on, in the news this week, Den- Devin Nunez. Who uh, who had a fundraiser, right. GOP fundraiser, oh, right. who blatantly said, "Listen, we need to protect Trump." Right. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. an admin. At, it's like an admission. We know he's doing dirt, but we have to protect him. Right. Yeah. And it's just so sad. I mean, I think about the Nixon administration when when it was revealed that Nixon and Watergate came out. Right. You had a lot of conservative Republicans who were like, "Hey, this is not cool." Right. We need to start something. They mm-hmm. were not ready to protect Nixon. Right. Mm-hmm. And I wonder. Why isn't the GOP? You know, what changed between right. then and when now? When is that balance? I know. I they're know. they're trying to get done as much <coughs> as they can get done. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's very sad. And uh, well, we have the California fires. We have Kanye on Jimmy Kimmel. Did you hear about this? No, I didn't. Oh goodness, did you? Hear I about didn't this? hear about it. No. <laughs> so Kanye West, he's been known to talk favorably for Donald Trump, uh-huh. right? And Jimmy Kimmel's like, why? You know, what's, what's going on? And he basically was like, well, listen, I just want to cut against the grain. And everyone's expecting a black man to be, you know, against Trump. And I, I just got to cut against grain because that's just my brand. That's who I am. Mm-hmm. And Kimmel was like, listen, is your brand supporting someone who is, is locking up kids 
and who has you know made all these things and I'll look at all these sanctions right. and look at all the tariffs right. and people losing jobs. What do you have to say about that? Kanye had nothing to say. Mm. They cut to a commercial break oh. and they didn't mention it at mm-hmm. all. Right. So I I, ha- I think I did hear that. No, it's yeah. like okay, good. I'm glad he said <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, you know, you have Dak Prescott, who is the quarterback for the uh, Dallas Cowboys, Uh basically backing up. So the NFL has a problem, and, of course, Trump has been talking about the protest. He's been putting pressure on them, yes. And Jerry Jones is like, listen, any Dallas Cowboy who protests, they're fired. Right. And Dak Prescott, who is a black quarterback, who's like, no, I would never protest at all. Right. Basically Mm -hmm. adhering to his boss. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, become a bigger problem. And uh, the last thing, so the Oscars has a new category, Best Popular Film. Uh, What do you think about that? I think it's stupid. Yeah. Well, because as was pointed out, the a lot of the films that are the because this is what you're it's it's been my pet peeve for a long time. In the same way, like in my perfect world, in my utopia, Mm -hmm. there is no sports. There is no sports news. There's none of that. You guys want to do that? Do it the way you do opera. We do never, we never, almost never get a headline about what's going on in the opera world. That's mm-hmm. never part of the, the opening to any news broadcast ever, right. anywhere. Mm-hmm. I wish sports was in the same category. Yeah. This <clears throat> same sort of thing where it's like, it just drives me crazy. Instead of talking about an art form based on its artistic merit, mm-hmm. we talk about how much money they made. Right. So yeah. how are they going to choose the Oscar based on most popular? It's like how much money they be, made? It's going to have yeah. to be I guess it's just dollar money. value. Okay. And, of course, you know, there's no – I mean, you'll know who wins because there's the dollar value. Right, Well, right. I think – I don't think it's – because it's still voted by the membership. Okay. So maybe they have, like, a pool but of only the top the five yeah. that made the most or something. Yeah, exactly. That's but what's yeah, going to happen. So, like, Pacific weird. Rim might be the film of the year. It's like <laughs> – Really? Oh, yeah, God. That is. I mean, you can have an action flick, just a cheesy action flick that makes a lot of money. Right. Or right. some James Cameron, you know, thing. There's once upon a time I love James Cameron. And it and may then be it, satisfying. Became, yeah. But is it really? Like I saw, I don't see, I used to watch South Park more. I don't watch it yeah. as much. Um, but when I go to visit family, I am trapped. <laughs> there is a large screen, yeah. huge screen in the living room, another almost as big screen in the family room. And they are on all evening and sometimes all day. And so you can't get away from this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I got to see a South Park mm-hmm. episode. And they were making fun of, um, oh gosh, what's the film with uh, DiCaprio? Um, Titanic? Titanic? No, no, no. Um, the one where they Oh, The Revenant. W- within a dream, within a dream, within oh, a dream. Oh, Inception. Inception, yes. Oh, yeah, I love that one. They yeah. were, I loved one. it. Yeah. It was fun. But would I say like it was best film of the year? No. I, I no, it was it was thought provoking and kind of fun, mm-hmm. um, and represented well in film. They took a concept and did a nice job, I thought, of, of making it come to life in yeah. film. That's great, and it's noteworthy. Like mm-hmm. you know, for the technical accomplishments of that film, yes, it might get an award. Mm-hmm. That's great. Best film of the year? Yeah, that Especially is strange. With a cheesy ending. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I liked it a lot, but like, yeah, just popularity does not necessarily equate to uh, artistic merit. I mean, yeah. you know, the Fifty Shades of Grey movie probably made a lot of money, right? Right? Is that going to get? I know that there's going to have a sequel. Yeah, <laughs> right. In the book, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, oh. Well, to go back though for a <laughs> yes. moment, um, I'm, so on Twitter, yes, <laughs> um, I'm I'm trolling a couple of right wingers. 
And um, and by trolling, all uh, yeah, I mean I, is I, I see a little bit of those, those, ba- those uh-huh. battles you're having, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> one of them is this black conservative who mm-hmm. just annoys me. By the way, your Twitter feed is Hoosier Hoosier. Yes. For those who want to <laughs> see what's going on. Super. Go ahead. Um, mostly I just kind of chime in, but I find instead of replying, a lot of times I'll just retweet, and there were, that way I can get my comment out and get it directed at them. And it's like, no, seriously, dude, stupid. You're saying stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, or he made a joke about, did somebody get on fire this week or something? I think it was. And he made a joke about it. And I was like, so you're making jokes about, oh, no, it was inciting violence. It was a joke about, you know, people being attacked. And I was mm. like, you're making a joke about this. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. This is humor on your side of the political spectrum. Okay. And I love when they want to come back at me with this stuff and say, they're doing this on the left. Okay, you. I didn't call myself a left. Mm. I didn't call myself a liberal. Mm-hmm. I did not call myself a progressive. Mm-hmm. So if we want to discuss those people, we can. Know that you're bringing something into the conversation that is not me. I don't like any of you doing it. I'm not a Hillary fan. I will say that publicly. I'm not a Hillary fan. But as soon as people started attacking Hillary personally, mm-hmm. I started going at them. I'm mm-hmm. like, you know what? If you want to argue about this woman, we can talk foreign policy, and you, I'll be a happy camper. But you're going to talk about her pantsuit? I can right, care less. Right. Or her Ridiculous. age? Her yeah. age, yeah. Uh, one of my, um, I used to have Trump supporting friends on Facebook. I think I've unfriended them all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I had one who like posted this meme that was about like, oh my gosh, how can we elect this 70 year old woman? Trump is 70. Exactly. He's older than her, I think. Exactly. Well, it's, and, it's, and there's so want, much sexism in it. They yeah. want Bernie yeah. to run again, and I'm like, Yee! he's 74. Right. He's 74. You're crazy. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the whole hatred thing. I mean, I, so I have another podcast, the Faith Podcast, right. Christian Podcast, and we talked all about – we were really talking about the, the process that's happening now. Mm-hmm. But people who sort of gravitate on hate, I think that love is sort of – not to get mushy, but love is sort of a muscle that isn't – you know, flex. It's so easy to right. just, you know, throw aspersions and hate mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. And – you know, love or especially loving or at least understanding people who don't think the way that you think. Right. And understanding why is it. You know, sometimes we need to just step back and say, okay, why am I having this battle? Mm-hmm. Why don't I like Democrats if I'm a Republican? Or why mm-hmm. do I not, not like Republicans if I'm a Democrat? Right. I mean, I know that I personally am a Democrat. I don't think I'll ever vote Republican. Mm-hmm. But I can have an appreciation for, let's say, Eisenhower. Eisenhower right. is a fantastic mm-hmm. Republican president. Who warned us about the military-industrial complex? Right. Yeah. Who you know, Brown v. Board of Education happened under his watch. Mm-hmm. So, Highways, huh? Highway, the whole uh, yeah, exactly, the whole Interstate Highway, Highway Act, yeah, mm-hmm. Route 66, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, understanding who you, who the air quotes enemy is, yeah, it, it, it promotes self-growth for yourself and an understanding, and you can have an actual dialogue with someone mm-hmm. who you know. Because if we have these, we can either talk at people or we right. can talk with people. Yeah. Well, civility is it's the word hard, I keep coming yeah. to. I mean, it's a hard question because I do feel kind of bad because, I, 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 like I said, I kind of defriended a lot of Trump-supporting right. friends. And so now I feel like I'm in a little bit of a bubble mm-hmm. in my Facebook world. Right. But I don't know. At the same time, you know, I, I, I guess I got tired of the hateful things that she just kept posting, the hateful right. things and the ignorant things. Mm-hmm. And on some level, because I had tried to engage with her right. a few times. She's somebody that I knew in high school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I tr- so I tried to engage with her, but I just got nowhere. And I, at, at some point I was like, this is not worth the effort for me. Right. Yeah. And so, right. like, you know. Yeah, I hear well, you. When um, you're not being heard. 
yeah. yeah. When you put out what seems like an intelligent thing to say, if you don't agree with me about this, tell me why, or if you can point to where there's some factual right. error, some logistical right. logic, mm-hmm. you know, some error in logic, and tell I, me why. Yeah, and I can respect people, uh, you know, conservatives who are principled and who rely on facts and evidence, right. mm-hmm. um, but not ones that are just kind of like repeating these things that they hear for no reason. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So no, I, w- I wouldn't feel bad at all, Bridget. I mean, you know, if you put if the olive branch out there, hey, let's have a discussion or whatever, but all you're getting is, you know, the mm-hmm. same old vitriol. Yeah. No, I had a nephew do it about Kaepernick, mm. mm-hmm. and I finally had to get up. And partly it's – I'm in Southern California. It's a hot afternoon, mm-hmm. and I'm not drinking right now. Mm-hmm. So I can't even just get like a cold beer and enjoy myself, and I can only drink so much Diet Coke before <laughs> I get tired. <laughs> So I'm like, you know what I really want right now is to get in the pool, and suddenly we're in this ridiculous conversation, and it's Kaepernick, and he's disrespecting mm. the anthem, mm, and he's yeah. disrespecting the troops. I'm like, mm. And I pushed back, and then I realized the conversation was getting heated, that mm. it wasn't going to resolve quickly, mm. and my mother's sitting there, and we're like, well, we should actually not get things mm-hmm. too excited right now. And I went, and I just jumped in the pool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, uh, and I still want to write to, this is my nephew, I still want to write to him and go... <coughs> So, dude, please know two things. One, I wasn't done with the conversation. If you want to continue this, we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, we're family. Mm-hmm. So, ultimately, all of this is kind of outside the family, and you don't. I just, I just don't want all the bashing that happens online. Sure. Right. Yeah. You know, right. if as soon as somebody and it's funny people who politically I'm aligned with, I'm trying to increase my followers on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So when somebody likes me, I go and I look at what they're posting. Mm-hmm. And when it just gets into, you know, Trump is an asshole and orange aid and all this stuff, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I don't care what color his hair is. I really do not care. He yeah. could be bald. Yeah. But what is he doing? Right. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, we, we've had complaints about The Root. Like, every time oh, I right. read The Root, The Root mm-hmm. is basically a black-based web magazine right. or, act, I guess, web newspaper. Mm-hmm. But it gets very trolly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it's trolly it on a conservative and especially, you know, pro-black level. And it's like, well, that's not constructive. Right. So I wanted to, just before we get into an origin story, there's a black renaissance thing going on in film. Yes. I, I saw... Um, blind spotting. Blind spotting. Isn't it y- you think I loved it. I loved it better than uh, sorry, sorry to bother you. Bother I, you. I agree. They're they're very different. Yes. Uh, what I feel like is it's like black exploitation. Being old enough to have yes. grown up in that. Yes. Because I grew up in that in a time where, especially we had moved from Indiana, where we were very much in a black community, to Southern California, mm-hmm. where we were suddenly in a mixed community and then a white community. That black exploitation thing was a little too black. It was like, whoa, y'all, um, there's the rest of America. Could we, <laughs> could we temper this a little bit? Mm-hmm. And my stepfather's white. So even weirder to go to, like, the uh, Watts Expo, yeah. Summer Expo, mm-hmm. with this tall white guy. <laughs> Very <laughs> yeah. freaky. Yeah. Um, so when the films came out, we didn't see a lot of them. We saw some of them. Yeah. Um, and what I'll always love is Cotton Comes to Harlem, which is an amazing film. Mm-hmm. It just is an amazing film mm-hmm. um, on a number of levels. Um, but it's very different from a lot – like Shaft and, right. uh, and um, all of the uh, – what's yeah. her name? Well, I think about Uptown Saturday Night. I think about Foxy um, – Well, and that's a Pam little, Greer. That's what movies. I was thinking, yeah. Pam Greer. Um, 
I feel like we're in that era again. And so you're going to get sloppy. Yeah. Like, sorry to bother you. We're not alienating you. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Okay. But sorry to bother you is a little sloppy. Yes. Um, but it is touching. And he potentially goes to an absurd place. Exactly. To show you about how wacky mm-hmm. the daily life is for some of us. Mm-hmm. When we get to blind spotting, it's in the title. Oh, my goodness. Because that's easy to explain to anybody. It's not a spoiler at all, I don't think. Um, if you've ever seen that image of two a silhouette of two faces facing each other. That's right. But, but it also you, looks like a vase. If you shift your perspective, yeah. it's a vase yeah. in between them. You cannot see both. You are blind to the other one. And as mm-hmm. soon as you shift, then you can't see the first one. Right. It's almost impossible to see both. You mm-hmm. can tell yourself both are there, but to visually bring it in. Mm-hmm. And right. so... I thought that was the perfect metaphor for where we are culturally right now, uh, especially politically. The people who are arguing on this side, if you're talking you're anti-abortion, well, there aren't very many people who are pro-abortion. There are a lot right. of people who are pro-choice, but you don't want to talk about choice. That's mm-hmm. where we're at. You're blind. And yes. I thought, perfect. That's yes. where we're at. So it's not about being black. Mm-hmm. This is about talking about where our culture has this friction. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You nailed it. So I would, I would advise everyone to watch that. And then also, Spike Lee has a thing um, oh produced guys. by uh, Gordon Peele, Klansman. Black Klansman. So that's, it, you know, you have that. You have Sorry to Bother You. You have um, Blind Spotting that we just talked about last year. Oh, Gordon it Peele's is. And Get whose son is it? Is it Denzel? Denzel Washington's son. Yeah. Oh, okay. Based on a true story. Based on a true story, right? Really. Yeah. So that's awesome. <laughs> anyway, let's have an origin story. Um, sure. Local playwright, uh, Bridget Dutta Portman. Uh, you just finished... Um, the uh, Playwright Center for San Francisco, and mm-hmm. now you have a play uh, for the Exit Theater. I keep on forgetting the um, uh, SF Olympians. Festival. SF Olympians, yeah, yeah. yeah. Stuart Bozell. We should yeah. get him on. Oh, definitely. Oh my God, he yeah. and I will go. To, we've been on a panel before. <laughs> we go toe to toe. Yeah, I can't help but have such strong disagreements with somebody and like them uh-huh. so much <laughs> and respect them. Cool, bring them on. Definitely, on. yeah, yeah. He's great. So tell us an origin story. How did you get involved in theater? Sure. Did you uh, did you act when you were a child? And you uh, said you're not Bay Area, so where are no, you? No, um so Seattle, I right? well I um Seattle area, Bellingham okay. is yeah. where I where Ooh. I mostly grew up. Um my aunt lives there right now. Yeah, yeah. Um it's a great place. Um but I was not actually interested in theater at the time. Um I did act in a uh, in my fourth grade play. Mm-hmm. Um and that was uh, an American tale. You know mm-hmm. the the animated oh, movie yes. about, yeah, about the mouse. Yes. Oh, that was my favorite song. <laughs> it's um, a beautiful song. So it, it is, and I I was an extra. So I <laughs> <laughs> were you a mouse? So I was a mouse, and yeah. I got to I got to wear a mouse costume, like ears and the tail. Oh, that's cute. And I um, I had three lines, mm-hmm. and I also got to sing in the chorus. Um, so that was my like acting experience, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think I didn't like acting very much. Mm-hmm. So I've never really been an actor, mm-hmm. um, and I wasn't really involved in the theater community. But what I did like from a very very young age was telling stories. Mm. Um, so when I was starting when when I, when I was about four, and going up until I was six or seven, I would um, write. I'm mm-hmm. doing air quotes, air quotes here. Yeah. Um, these stories, and they were almost all about uh, mm-hmm. dogs, like anthropomorphized dogs. Mm-hmm. 
And what I would do is um, I would draw the pictures for them, uh-huh. like uh, making like books. Yeah. And then my I would dictate to my mom. Uh-huh. And um, she was wonderful. Shout out to my mom. Um, she would uh, not change anything. Uh-huh. So like she wouldn't, if, even if I said something that like made no sense, because mm-hmm. I was four, yeah. she would just like word for word transcribe it. Wow. And I still, wow. she saved them too. Yeah. So I still have um, a box of over 200 uh-huh. of these um, stories about dogs. Wow, that is yeah. fantastic. So I s- <laughs> that's where I kind wow. of started yeah. telling stories. Yeah. Did um, you have siblings? I had Did a younger you brother. Okay. I have a younger brother, like five years younger. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, so you got to be big, big sister. I was a big sister. Yeah, Yay. I was a big sister. Um, and then I guess, yeah, I would sometimes tell stories to my brother. Mm. Um, and then my my dad um, is a psychologist. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where I got um, kind of uh, my interest in the way people think. Mm-hmm. And mm. like um, whenever I write characters, I try to get behind kind of their um, – their their immediate motivation to yeah. their deeper motivations, yeah. and like mm-hmm. what what's controlling them at a at a at an inner level, at a personal level. It's, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, the movie that I saw last week was a documentary, Three Identical Strangers. Mm-hmm. Do you know about that? Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Yes. This is basically this is not to detract what you're saying, mm-hmm. but basically a psychologist took three triplets, identical twin triplets, and. I don't know what was going on in the 70s and how uh, an adoption agency allowed this to happen, but he basically separated the triplets and had them in three different families right. within, I think, a 100-mile radius of yeah. each other. One was a lower-class family, one was a middle-class family, one was a rich family, and basically had a researcher study these children to find out how they were raised or whatever. To make mm. a long story short, there was a lot of um, – um, There were a lot of psychological issues. The mother who had given the kids up for adoption was an alcoholic, I believe, Mm -hmm. and the kids had to go through a lot of stuff. And I think the one who came from the middle-class family committed suicide. To make a long story short, they were like, hey, we should not have been separated in this experiment. Treating children like, really, lab rats is horrible. Any case. Um, What was I saying? We were talking about – it reminded me of that because uh, your dad is a psychologist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, kind of the – yeah, the – so you were saying she was experimented on. That's no, what no, no, no. Yeah, no, no. Sure I think, I think I got – yeah, I, I think I was saying that I got from him kind of uh, just a propensity to, to think about what underlies people's motivations. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. And I've kind of applied that to my um, to my writing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I would write these, these stories about dogs. Mm-hmm. And then when I got a little older, I would kind of write other stuff. Um, I started writing this really um, long, I think it ended up like 800-some pages, wow. um, really, really bad um, sci-fi fantasy novel mm-hmm. that I started writing when I was about 16, and it went into my early 20s. Wow. Um, and yeah, it was horrible. But like, um, as I was working on that, um, I decided to try to write a play that was within the novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really interested in Greek mythology mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. So I had a lot of Greek references in the novel, like the characters are all named after figures from Greek mythology. Yeah. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to try to write a short play that will go within the novel. Mm-hmm. And then I did that, and while I was doing that, I realized that I liked doing that more than writing the novel. Interesting. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, and I yeah. think it's because um, – and I, I like novels. Like, I'm writing another one now. Mm-hmm. But um, – I've always liked writing dialogue, mm-hmm. like even within um, this this fiction that I was writing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I liked writing people's conversations. Like it just 
I, I think I have kind of a, a knack for dialogue. Yeah. Mm. And so I think that's why that translated really well. And I realized that, wow, this is fun and I can write this mm -hmm. way. Um, and then I, I took a, a playwriting class mm -hmm. at, um, r at the time I was at UC Irvine and I was working on my, um, my degree in political science. Okay. And I took this playwriting class at UC Riverside because they didn't offer any at mm -hmm. UC Irvine at the time. Mm -hmm. And so like twice or three times a week, I would make the commute. It was like 50-minute commute over mm -hmm. to UC Riverside. And I felt like I was cheating or something on my, um, my, <laughs> my poli-sci program mm -hmm. because I liked it so much. Um, and nothing against my poli-sci program. It was great. Mm -hmm. But I, I probably should have realized at that time that, like, maybe I'm in the wrong field and maybe I should mm. be focusing on writing. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but it seems to me like I'm, I'm a liberal studies major. Uh -huh. uh, well, got my degree in liberal studies. And, you know, I hear people make fun of that. But I'm like, mm, it actually gave me a way, a framework to yeah. kind of look at the world. I would assume poli-sci similarly. I think it did. Yeah, I think it did. Um, uh, my, some of my plays do have political themes, mm -hmm. and in, within poli sci, I focus on political psychology, which is basically like how people think about politics. Mm -hmm. And that more psychology aspect of it definitely influenced my plays. Well, we need we need that right now. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. yeah. oh yeah. The yeah. biggest battles I have online are are with Hillary supporters, mm. um, because I think on some level we we all think we're on the same page. We all think we want the same mm -hmm. thing, but the amount of bashing of the alternative people is huge, and I keep trying to point out. I'm like, let's get to facts. Fact, non-voters, biggest segment of the population mm -hmm. that did not vote for your candidate and did not support Trump. You can't just tr make it black and white that way. You can't just say it's one or the other. I right. said. And so what they keep doing is posting things where, don't you want blah, 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 blah? Or why would anybody do blah, blah, blah? Uh, and I'm like, yeah. okay, do you want an answer to that question? Because the answer to that question would be great, and it might point the way forward. But if you just want to use it to bash people, I think we're going to see 2016 repeat. Oh, no. I hate to say I it. I know, I know. No, the, the fighting on the left, the infighting you mm -hmm. know, between um, you know, people – progressives and liberals or whatever you want to call right. it, Bernie, Bernie the supporters Bernie or people. the Hillary yeah. supporters. Yeah, it's just, it's not productive. It's not mm -hmm. going to help us win in 2020, which is what we have got or to focus on. Yeah. I'm afraid. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it's interesting, and we'll get back to the orchestra. It reminds me so much of the, the aftermath of the death of Bobby Kennedy. You know, uh, uh. It, it, it just destroyed the, you know, the Democrat Party so right. much because it's like, okay, we have one person who will still hold on to our dreams and what we want to have done. And right. then he dies, and it's like, oh, my God, we have human Well, not dies, gets yeah. killed. It's like anybody who steps up for this, because that's the same Yeah, it's the same year of, um, of King. King, that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. like, King oh. was in April. Bobby was in June. Yeah. But you had these uh, factions, you know, like you had the women's factions. Like mm -hmm. I want to – I think the next play that I want right. to write – deals with Betty Friedan and mm -hmm. sort of the, uh, the battle yeah. between her and Gloria Steinem mm -hmm. and now mm -hmm. and all of that, because that happened during mm -hmm. that time. You're not going to put Shirley Chisholm in there? Oh, mm. you know, I should. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. time period. Yeah. But, you know, you have the women's who are like, hey, we're not taking a, a step back. You know, we want to focus on our issues. Right. You have the gay movement that which happened around that time. Right. Uh, Harvey Milk. Right. You have the Chavez um, yeah. the the uh, Latino yeah, Chavez, movement, yeah. and you have, of course, the Black movement, which yeah. has transitioned from 
King all the way to the Black Panther movement right. and uh, Angela Davis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's all been the problem of the Democrat Party where you have people are like, hey, listen, we're not taking a back step and we're not accepting this candidate. Right. Ma ours needs to come first. Right. With the Republicans, mm-hmm. you know, they, 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 they yeah, are yeah, they are definitely better than, yeah. than the other side at that. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to ask you because when I went to NYU, I, I studied undergraduate drama, but I did take a sociology class, mm-hmm. which I think helped me as an actor. Did you get into sociology at all? Um, not a lot. I, I, I took some classes as, as an undergrad okay. uh, for sociology. Okay. But yeah, it was more, uh, yeah, more political, um, political science and psychology is, yeah. is what I focused on. Because yeah. I would think that there's a parallel between so, because sociology deals with the psychology of a group of people. Yeah, there are definitely parallels. Yeah, yeah. there are definitely a lot of intersections. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And you had mentioned that you were a goth at, at around the time. I, I was, <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow, really? Well, you know, I, I did get like a, a death-related tattoo. Uh huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I went through this this, this odd phase of being like. Now was it was it like a punk thing? Because there no. was a, like a punk new wave thing in the eighties. Yeah. No, it wasn't really. It was just. Um, I was just fascinated with with death and mortality mm-hmm. and the way people thought about it. So um, my <coughs> dissertation for. Um, uh, my my political science program was mm-hmm. uh, I interviewed and surveyed um, people of different political parties mm-hmm. um, about their attitudes toward death. Wow! So I looked at huh. um, Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, and Socialists. Uh-huh. That's really fascinating. So wh- what, yeah. was the, wh- what was the, what was your conclusion? Yeah. Well, um, and there hadn't been a lot of research on this, right. and so I knew going in like I'm going to find something super interesting, or I'm going to find kind of nothing mm-hmm. and it was a little more toward the nothing side oh. but i did i did find some interesting things so i, I measured people's overall levels of death anxiety because right. there are a number of studies that suggest that conservatives are actually higher in death anxiety mm-hmm. and that that actually might be at the root of some of their um their beliefs yeah mm-hmm. yeah well i definitely feel that fear yes. motivates the voting, I guess, the, the, yeah. the, the voting motivation. It definitely is, and there, yeah. there are there are hundreds of studies. Yeah. Um, and this is a, a subfield ca- called a terror management theory. Yeah. And basically, there are studies that show that if you take people and you have them write about the idea of their own death. Mm-hmm. So, like, first you give them a pretest where you gauge their political beliefs. Uh-huh. You have them briefly write about their own death, and then you give them another test. They tend to shift in a direction of um, clinging tighter to their beliefs uh-huh. and often in a conservative direction. Mm-hmm. So the thought there is that conservative beliefs, because they present the world as uh, very orderly and stable, mm-hmm. um, provide kind of better protection against the fear of death. Mm-hmm. And so I found this really fascinating. And I guess the disruption of that order, which they may blame on you know liberals or people uh-huh. who are not the same, yeah. as being very threatening. Yes, and think. so you see, like, yeah, when, when Trump says, you know, um, we've got to be afraid of, you know, Muslims coming into our country. We've right. got to be afraid of immigrants coming in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is appealing to that kind of existential fear in people. Fascinating. So, yeah. Really, really um, fascinating. But um, what was I saying? I lost my train of thought again. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but, I, but I had a question for you because we had another uh, person, uh, Cecilia Palmtag, who has worked with the flight deck, and she's done a bunch of other things. Mm-hmm. She uh, directed a play, Lifetimes 3 by Yasmin Reza, Mm -hmm. and we talked about, she had made a statement which sort of stuck with me, how we were talking about, I guess, women and dealing with age, Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and I guess oh, you know, uh-huh. and sh- I, we're, I guess we're talking about people who you know, like they inject Botox. Their, their Botox and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Like I think we we're talking about Joan Rivers and her passing, and she talked about well, that's just a fear of death. Oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and do, I do, do have a play about aging. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I have a full length play um, called Ageless, which uh-huh. is about this. Tell yeah. us about it. This sure. Um, well, it. this play, so it's set about 100 years in the future, mm-hmm. and it's in a society where people have developed a pill that prevents aging. Right. And, I mean, in, it's partially based on reality because there are companies that are trying to do this. Yeah. So um, in this society, basically everybody takes the pill, and so everybody looks like they're about 25, mm-hmm. no matter how chronologically old they are. Mm-hmm. And so my play is about a woman who decides not to take it and to, to age naturally. Uh-huh. And some of the problems in her personal life, in her um, career, and things that she faces right. aging in this society. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. When I, I remember a few years ago, they started putting up these billboards saying the first person, the first 150 year old person, is on the planet right now. Yeah, and I yeah, was yeah. like, I got a feeling that's not me. Damn. <laughs> Damn. I, yeah, we kind of like just missed it. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Fifty years from now, that pill might be there. Yeah. Um, but what you were saying before was you were just talking about how you got through school and your dissertation. Yeah. Oh, my dissertation. Yeah. So I looked at, um, I, I interviewed people mm-hmm. um, from different political ideologies mm-hmm. um and i also gave them surveys and measured kind of overall fear of death and what i found is everybody basically had the same level of fear of death mm-hmm. um so i didn't find that conservative <coughs> spirit it more but what i found was that different groups tended to um uh, deal with it in different ways so mm-hmm. like many of the conservative people that I interviewed were also religious mm-hmm. and many of them when I asked like what brings you comfort when you think about death they talked about their religion or their belief in an afterlife mm-hmm. um, when I interviewed the socialists they were much more likely to talk about their political activity mm-hmm. like what brings you comfort they'd say like well the knowledge that I will leave the world a better place huh. yeah interesting. so I thought that that was really fascinating and it was it was interesting just talking to people about and they were um, largely older people. Mm-hmm. Um, some people who were actually fairly close to death. Um, like I interviewed a woman in a um, assisted living home who was um, hooked up to oxygen. She mm. was. Um, um, I, I can't remember if she what uh, if she had a terminal illness, mm-hmm. but um, she had uh, Buddhist beliefs, mm. and we were talking about how how her beliefs give her comfort. Yeah, I interviewed another person who was going to have a, a lung transplant, mm. and I think it was something like there was like a one third chance of it not working mm-hmm. and, and him dying. Yeah, um, and we talked about like what bring him brought him comfort. Yeah, and solace, and so um, yeah, I feel like. I kind of concluded that we all have these underlying fears mm-hmm. yeah. and our political beliefs are part of one thing that can bring us comfort. Interesting. That is yeah. really, really interesting. It seems to me like this is a, um, like it's, it's hanging on me right now with, with my mom. Um, I've got my mom, my stepfather, my dad, my stepmom, all alive, all in their seventies, mm-hmm. <laughs> all black. <laughs> No, except for my stepfather. He's white. But um, all at that point were health issues. And I'm realizing that as somebody over 50, you go to the doctor and you say something about something. And I was in an accident. Before I turned 50, I was in an accident. Um, I went back in for a checkup. And the guy looked at my x-rays. Young doctor looked at my x-rays. And he's like, oh, 
there's something going on with your your neck you know mm. the top of your spine there's these little chips and blah 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 mm. blah and he said and how old are you and i think i was like 44 at the time and i said 44 he went oh oh yeah, no 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 that that no, that's fine for your age. <laughs> I mean, a moment ago, he was like, uh-oh, this, he's ready to hit the panic button oh. on how bad this is. <laughs> oh, God. And when you get over 50, it gets even worse, and yeah. over 60, even yeah. worse, and over 70. So the least little thing, which they could fix, yeah. they're suddenly like, oh, but you're going to die anyway. <clears throat> oh. And I feel like, so that awareness of death is huge. Yeah. And to me, it's a fun place theatrically to start to deal with, because the other thing I'm realizing is I heard my mom had had a stroke, I got off the phone, and I'm an adult, kind of going, well, gosh, I know sort of what that means, and right now it sounds like it's basically good news, you know, she's recovering, Mm -hmm. and she's okay, and blah, 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 and then I just burst into tears, and I sat there crying, Mm. and um, and I called one friend to try and check in, and he just kind of went, oh, okay, no big deal, well, his mom just died Uh last fall, so he's like, oh, okay, well, she's okay, so... You know, yeah. what, what's the problem? It's like, yeah, I called another friend whose mom died about four years ago or so. She immediately was just there for me. Uh-huh. And it was like, whoa. So we all deal with it differently. Yeah. And I yeah. find myself, I'm fascinated as an older person wanting to see more theater about that, about the things that older people deal with. But I also think it's interesting when you have to deal with my young, my nephew is 28. He just turned 28. He's the one who's geographically closest to my parents right now. He's feeling all this guilt about about not being there, about what else he should know, what he should do. Hmm. And I really want to call him and say, dude, you need to take that off your plate because nobody has control over any of this. I'm 400 miles, something like that away. I... When something happens, I know I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be there in 20 minutes. I'll be lucky if I can get there in two hours. If I even hear about it, right. if I don't hear about it to the next day, I'm going to be. I know I'm going to beat myself up. I'm going to feel horrible. That way of to me, that's great theater. Yeah. <laughs> oh sure. The yeah. way people yeah. just respond to this. Are you at work when you <clears throat> get the call? What do you do about it? Yeah. 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 You know what's interesting? Just thinking about this, and I want to talk about just your writing and how you incorporate all of this. Mm-hmm. But I work for the DA's office, and a lot of times what I, one aspect is elder abuse. And so I had to do, this past year, uh, two conditional exams. And the conditional exams are basically exams that you do oh. in the home mm-hmm. of the people because they can't go to court. Mm-hmm. And we need to do it quickly because they could die. Right. And a lot of it's financial abuse. Let's say they meet up. They're estranged from their families. Mm-hmm. A friend, bef- you know, a person befriends them, and of course they get hoodwinked, and they, you know, they're writing checks that you know goes out of their account. Right. And we did one exam of an individual who I would say is less educated. I'll just put it that like mm-hmm. that. And his 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 quality of life was not great. Okay. He was completely bedridden. Oh. He needed several caregivers. He was sort mm-hmm. of out of it. It became a problem for our case because he couldn't remember anything. Oh, right. And it was really, really this. tough. Yeah. And it was heartbreaking to see. Mm-hmm. And then, recently, we did a conditional exam for a woman who was 94 years old, but very cogent, oh. very sharp. Mm-hmm. Okay. She knew everything, and I think she was a former uh, lawyer. She was a former educator. Oh. And, of course, she had written everything down, and it was the best conditional exam. And it just struck me, I think individuals, and, you know, we talk about age being sort of a mind thing, Mm -hmm. like you're you're only as old as you 
you know, you as you think you are. There's your mental condition. Yeah, yeah. like you had mentioned, you know, someone's like, oh, Norman, you don't look 57 or 50, you know. 58, almost 59. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. And you very bluntly told them, hey, listen, this is who I am. And, you know, if you haven't seen him. Oh, my comeback is always, Mm -hmm. you might want to get your eyes checked because this is Mm -hmm. what 58 looks like. Uh Exactly. Uh But it's being active, it's being physically and mentally active, which I think keeps you young. Yeah. And it yeah. keeps those thoughts of death and, oh, my God, I'm on my deathbed out of so your mind. one thing that I had found through research, which is kind of the comforting thing to me, mm-hmm. is that there's actually an inverse relationship between age and fear of death. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like counterintuitive. But, like, as, as you get older, people tend to fear death less mm-hmm. and be more comfortable with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which hmm. is kind of weird because, like, you're probably having, like, parents die. So you're, you're closer to it. Right. But at the same time, like, uh, it kind of makes sense because, like, mm-hmm. it, it, um, it's less – I guess things can be less scary if, mm-hmm. if you have more experience right. with them. Mm-hmm. And also, like, you've, you've lived more of your life. Yeah. Um, Fear of death tends to be highest in, like, young people, like people in their 20s. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah, which mm. does make yeah. sense. So I'm hoping, yeah, yeah as I get older – um, it won't bother me as yeah. much. <laughs> Although it is interesting, you do meet those who are like, you know, I'm just, I just, I don't fear death, so I'm just going to do all sorts of crazy things, and you mm-hmm. know, and then you have someone who dies young or whatever. I'm also fascinated with people who, unfortunately, I mean, I had a friend of mine who is a cutter, mm-hmm. who thinks about it a little too much. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. a whole totally different thing. Yeah. I did want to ask you, that, you know, they say one of my favorite statements is, poets write about what you feel. Uh, novelists write about what you put people think, and playwrights write what, what people say, and I'll guess oh. film film directors write about what people do. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. As far as what, because you're also a novelist mm-hmm. as well as a playwright, just like Jean well, Baroba. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but do you find that you put on different hats, or oh, you yeah. put on different um, oh. just when mentalities when oh, you yeah. write? Yeah, and it was hard because, um, like, so I wrote fiction for a while. I mentioned that horrible long. Um, uh, novel that I wrote, mm-hmm. um, and then I went to playwriting for a while, and then I've only recently gone back to, to trying to write fiction. And at first, it was kind of hard mm-hmm. because as a playwright, you're you're taught uh, avoid exposition. So you know, um, you know, you, you focus on the dialogue, yes. you keep stage directions to a minimum, mm-hmm. and if you have deeper psychological feelings in the characters, it's got to come across somehow in what they say. Yeah. Um, whereas now I switch. I'm writing fiction. It's like I can't just say. Um, exit Steve, right? I have to say how he walked to the door. Mm-hmm. I have to describe what he was feeling, right? Yeah. So yeah. It, it's taken a while to get back into that, but now I feel like um, now I feel like I can do it. It's almost like you use different parts of your brain. And yeah. when I sit down to do the novel, it just switches over to that part. Yeah. So huh. I like being able to do both, actually. One of the things that I loved about Mr. The Bear, mm-hmm. and that's uh, something that we talked about two podcasts ago, is your ability to s- express so much with so little words. Like you mm-hmm. just talked about how you should avoid exposition. One of the problems with young playwrights, and I'm going to include myself in this, is that you have so much stuff that you want to tell the audience. Right. And you had talked about a recent play, Norman, that you saw. I'm not going to mention any names mm-hmm. or whatever, where <clears throat> there was a play that just tried to get so much information in yeah. mm-hmm. that it's like, oh, my God, is this a play or is this a dissertation? Yeah. Uh-huh. How yeah. do you avoid that? I mean, what I mean, techniques do you use? It's a learning – it was a learning process because when I was first writing, um, you know, and I, I wrote my first play about eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. And I would do that. And I would try – characters would like talk too much and they would say too much and mm-hmm. they would they would say what was on their minds rather than you know think about 
you know, how can you hint at this through what they say? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, one thing I've learned to do is just go through and try, go through like a couple pages of dialogue mm -hmm. and just take out everything that you possibly can that would still leave the story there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now I've gotten to the point where I think I have more of a, an intuitive handle on it. But oh. that's a good, I mean, because I see that with a lot of new playwrights. Yeah, just mm -hmm. like, just, you don't need this. Just cut this. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's a challenge. It's a learning thing. Yeah. How do, you, how do you structure a new play? Like, I know for me, I'll do, of course, a character analysis, and then I'll, let's say, write what I call outlines. Uh -huh. like, mm -hmm. a, okay, like in... Act one, scene one, I'll write about this, like like, like a brief paragraph, before mm -hmm. I even start writing. Do you do that as well? Yes, okay. yes. Um, and I know different people have different methods. So I know some playwrights that just kind of have a more intuitive method, and they just start writing, mm -hmm. and they just kind of let, let the muse come through them. And I mm -hmm. usually can't do that. So usually I'll start with like a theme mm -hmm. um, or some message that I want to get across, and then mm -hmm. I'll think about characters to embody that theme. Uh -huh. And then I'll usually think about the plot, and I will do an outline, mm -hmm. usually just like a spreadsheet with, mm -hmm. you know, scene one, these characters, this happens, scene mm -hmm. two, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then I leave it loose enough that it can change as I go through it. Mm -hmm. But usually I don't end up deviating all that much from that initial outline. Got so it. that's yeah, that's how I do it. Mm -hmm. I found how that do you enjoy that? Go ahead. Oh, I found that with the novel, um, it's been a little harder, and I've been pushing myself because I tend to get stuck in the outline stage, uh -huh. uh, and that was happening with the novel a lot, where I was afraid to start writing mm -hmm. because the outline wasn't totally complete. Oh. And so I finally pushed myself, like, okay, and I took a, a workshop where I had to write ten pages a week, uh -huh. no matter what. Right. And so, and that's what I've been doing. Like, I have to write ten pages a week, even if I don't know where this is going. Uh -huh. and I end up changing it all later like right. I just have to write and I think that's been good for me so it's sort of a finding the balance between like free writing and, mm -hmm. ah. and totally outlining everything <laughs> yeah <laughs> how do you like the uh, collaborative process because that's the thing I hear from writers more oh, than yeah. anything is you suddenly get in the room all these people pick up your stuff and they go where they will with it yes yes um I that's one of the things I love about playwriting actually mm -hmm. um and, yeah, there have been instances where, like, what comes across on stage maybe wasn't exactly what I intended. Mm -hmm. um, but there have been other instances where, like, the actors or the director will do something with it that I didn't even think of. And mm -hmm. that's just brilliant. So I love it. I love collaborating with people. I'm supposed yeah. to meet with a playwright this – actually, no, we bumped – Schedules have just been a little crazy. We've tried for a couple of weeks, and now it's looking like we might be waiting until September mm -hmm. <laughs> before we can actually meet. And there are different things I want to talk to him about, about the script and the way it developed. We, we got to put it up, and that was nice. But the script went through a lot of shifts, and you know, some of that was just to get the production moving. Some of that was actually useful. I want to talk to him about that. But I also want to ask very directly about my role as director because at one point as we were on a break or something he said something about you know directors just they come in and they just they just completely ignore stage direction and they say can <laughs> we change that and I was like ow because I had done that but there were places where I felt like it needed to be something else and yeah. that he would what I love about that is it needs to be something else so I'm going to make it something else you, the playwright, may say, that is not at all what I intended, and that I hope this will at least point to you, help you get clear about what it is you want 
and how that needs to show up yeah. on the page. I mean, yeah, it's a collaboration. And I think um, I think one thing that's helped me, I've never been a director, but mm -hmm. I have been a producer. Mm -hmm. um, I, so I've for three years, I was a co-producer for PCSF's annual um, oh, short play right? festival. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. And um, I think what I think all playwrights should produce at some point uh, <laughs> because mm -hmm. that let me see things from the point of view of directors right. and of actors and right. of designers. Mm -hmm. So, like, and I have had directors or actors request, "Hey, can we change this line?" Right. And I think I'm because I've had that experience, I'm more likely to be like, "Yeah, sure," because mm -hmm. yeah, there's things that I just I have my perspective, and there's things that you know. You know, some of my lines, they're just um, a weird mouthful, and they can't right. be pronounced very well. Uh -huh. Or, you know, this stage direction just, like, might not work. And right. so I think as a playwright, you have to be – like, you have to stick to your vision mm -hmm. and not be pressured into changing things that are not what you want to change. But you also right. have to have that flexibility where, yeah, like, I will reconsider this based on problems mm -hmm. that it's creating for you. So, yeah. Well, and ultimately for me, it's – this is a production. It's going to happen, and then it's going to be done. Yes. And then yes. you, the playwright, can sort of take ownership, <laughs> retake ownership of your play. <laughs> and if you liked what happened, then you can incorporate it. And if you don't, you can see if you can come up with a better solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Like yeah. I remember, I remember Jeannie had talked about a bad experience she had where I guess she had a production done in uh, the East Coast. Uh -huh. And I guess they had totally just changed so much of it right. mm -hmm. that she mm -hmm. was like, wow, did anyone even write to me and tell me that they were going to change things yeah. or right. whatever? I've had, had bad dreams like that. Oh, oh yeah. But you have not had yeah. bad experiences <laughs> like that. Um, I mean, I've, <laughs> I've had plays done where I've, like, um, uh, in other states where I haven't been able to go. Mm -hmm. And I've had, like... Um, I don't want to say anything. <laughs> like you don't mention any names yeah, or anything. But yeah, but like uh, where I wished that the people involved would have like involved me more. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because like for one, I didn't even know what the dates were. They didn't even tell me like when it was mm -hmm. going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, That's interesting. Yeah. So I like I I want to be consulted, I guess, well, and involved yeah. in some way. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'll imagine you treat your you know your plays as as if it were a child. Yeah. Like you're it is it like a, a child. Yeah. I know. Sometimes, like when I'm writing, I feel like it's like I'm gestating something. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, yeah. right. But then, like you have to put it out in the world and let it go on right. its own two feet right. and make its own mistakes yeah. and yeah. like. Yeah, and so hope the caregiver knows has appreciation for mm -hmm. yeah. your child. I mean, you. if you want total control, then be a novelist, right? right? Uh. And even th even then, you have to. Your editor is going to tell you. You know, right, you have to be able are. to. But yeah, so yeah. it's that you have to be willing to give up that control, and that's something that you have to get used to. All, mm -hmm. Also, yeah. as, as a new playwright. So what brought you to the Bay Area? What brought you to the Playwright Center? It oh, sounds sure. like that was your first connection. Yeah, yeah. to the Bay. Um, well, I was down in UC Irvine, as I said, um, doing my, my graduate studies in political science. Mm -hmm. And then I met my husband there, mm -hmm. and he was doing uh, grad school as well for mm -hmm. uh, engineering. Mm -hmm. And um, he got a job up here in Milpitas. Oh. Mm -hmm. And so that was that. So we, right. we, uh, we, moved, we got married. We moved up here. That mm -hmm. was in 20 – well, we got married in 2011. Mm -hmm. We moved up here at, like, the end of 2010, uh -huh. I think. Oh, uh -huh. um, and so, knowing that I was going to move up here, I was I looked at playwrights organizations, and the, the Playwright Center of San Francisco was one that I found right away. Uh, so uh -huh. I apply, I joined them, mm -hmm. and they actually, and this was in 2010, um, mm -hmm. gave me my first staged reading of a full length play. Wow! Mm. Yeah, um, and that was just I I remember um, it was my birthday. 
when I got like I got the word of that and I was Mm -hmm. like this is the best thing Mm -hmm. ever yeah um I like had my family fly in I had my grandmother come now was that your first theater experience pretty much yeah 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 um and because yeah I I mean I never really thought of myself as a playwright before that Mm -hmm. um for some reason, I, I and I've always struggled with anxiety yeah. mm-hmm. and like self-image issues, and I never really thought that I was good enough mm-hmm. to, to write and to write professionally. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, um, part of what that showed me, I think that experience showed me, was that I am good enough. Yeah. yeah. And so um, that compelled me to keep getting involved. And so I did more with mm-hmm. PCSF. I got some of my sh- my first short play productions mm-hmm. through PCSF, mm-hmm. and then I just kind of branched out from there yeah mm-hmm. so yeah what what is your take on on i guess the the bay area theater experience yeah um well like i said i'm still like kind of a newcomer to mm-hmm. it even though i've been here since 2010 i mm-hmm. still feel like i'm i'm, I'm learning it's almost about a decade it. Yeah. yeah wow yeah it is yeah. it's scary <laughs> <laughs> um like i said before i feel like there's a lot of opportunity for mm-hmm. uh people without you know a lot of previous ties to theater Mm -hmm. and um again i don't really have anywhere to to compare it to Mm -hmm. um but i've found that it's um very supportive um very um yeah collaborative and encouraging Mm -hmm. um uh, a lot of opportunities as i said to get my my place seen um i mean and this is something for I'm sure it's true across the country. I wish there were more opportunities for new playwrights to get work done in larger theaters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I'm, that's just a problem everywhere. I mm. mean, I've been I've mm-hmm. been told like point blank by a theater, you know, we we like your work. We cannot take a risk on a new playwright. Yeah, right. I've heard and that too. Yeah. yeah, and it's a it's a financial thing, and I get mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, so you know, that's a. I'm still trying to find a way to get my work kind of interested or get get other larger theaters interested yeah. in my work mm-hmm. now you've not only worked with the playwright center but what other companies i mean what other sure. stages have you have you had your work done um on? and i don't want to leave anybody out here so i have mm-hmm. my card cool. um yeah so um my play that i was talking about ageless was yeah. done mm-hmm. by quantum dragon theater we just talked about quantum dragon oh yeah uh yeah. not dragon but quantum dragon oh, okay. yeah. yeah so and i've actually worked with both Oh, so nice. Quantum Dragon is um, a small theater in San Francisco devoted to sci-fi and fantasy. Nice. And mm-hmm. the cool thing about that is there's very few theaters, even nationally, that do that. There's right. like I can count them on one hand. Yeah. 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 And so um, they commission this play um, through a new works program that they have. Mm-hmm. So every year they have like four new uh, playwright or new works. Mm-hmm. That they develop, and they uh-huh. gave it a staged reading, and they they took it to production. So That's yeah, really very cool. Dragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, custom made theater uh-huh. is another yeah. one in yeah. San Francisco. Yeah. Um, they did a workshop production of a play of mine earlier this year called mm-hmm. The Mourner. They're housed in the same building as uh, yes. the Shelton Theater, yes, right? Yes, they yeah. are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was also through their new works program. Mm-hmm. So I had um, I submitted a proposal. They chose it, and they gave my play two staged readings mm-hmm. um, last year, and then a workshop production this year. Oh. And so that was really cool. Um, they're also a wonderful theater. Um, let's see, the Dragon Theater is in Redwood City. Yeah. So I think that's the one you were mentioning. Yeah, before. that was it. Yeah. Um, and I did like a, a co-production. Mm-hmm. Of one of my plays through, they have something called the Second Stages yeah. series, mm-hmm. where you can apply to that, and then they'll give you um, basically the 
the theater for a certain run mm -hmm. and you get rehearsal space and you get help with um, publicity and mm -hmm. things like that and then you have to kind of hire your team and and self-produce it so that was right. a, that was a good experience um and then the pear theater which yeah. is in mountain view yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they have a playwrights group, um, the Pear Theater Guild, and I've, I've been involved in that for the last few years. Mm -hmm. And then they have an annual production of short plays um, called Pear Slices that I've been involved with as well. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for a number of years. A mm -hmm. And then the SF Olympians Festival that we yeah. talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. How did you get your stuff produced in uh, England? Um, and, and yeah. I think Wales, it's right? So, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, so this was a short play that I wrote um, called Auto Incorrect, mm -hmm. and it's it's mm. a short it's a short comedy mm -hmm. um, about a guy who's like um, autocorrect starts to affect his his oh. thoughts. Uh -huh. So like he'll talk and he'll he'll autocorrect his speech to horrible things. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, oh. And that it's actually my most produced short play. Oh. Um, I, I wrote it for PCSF mm -hmm. a few years ago for yeah. our um, annual production, which was then called Scheherazade. And then I submitted it to, um, I think it's, it's called Pint Size Plays. Um, uh -huh. Not the one here in San Francisco, but it's in like somewhere in, in the UK. Mm -hmm. okay. um, and they chose it and then... It went from there to a number of productions in, um, like, in England and Wales. Wow. And every now and then I get, like, a royalties little thing um, uh -huh. <laughs> for, like, you know, $15. Right. But it's gotten, like, some other production somewhere there. That's so it's kind of cool. cool. Yeah. That's fantastic. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm always interested in the business. You know, yeah. like we mm -hmm. always know how the artistic part of creating a play but then there's the business of how you promote it and how mm -hmm. you get it to different areas yeah. and stuff. Well, I'm still definitely working on that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, you're doing that's a fantastic job. You're getting, yeah, you're getting no, it that's, all that's out there. That is wonderfully impressive. Yeah. We are past the hour mark, but yeah. uh, you know, we've enjoyed And we haven't even talked about just you know why you focus on death and all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. Um, well, we touched on some. A little yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, uh, yeah, and uh, you know, we encourage folks to um, the uh, the SF Olympics that that you that people should go and yeah. see the Olympians. Yeah. yeah, SF Olympians. Olympians yeah. yeah, I think it's exactly. sfolympians.com, and exactly. that's starting and in October. Yeah, October the third to the twentieth, and mm -hmm. we'll have plugins. Uh, we're at the time for shout outs. Birthdays. Birthdays. Um, today, where is it? Today is Bernard Bosch's birthday. Um, he's a wonderful actor, Bay Area actor, and um. A stage combat guy. And he also does, I think, voice work. He does, you know, he does a lot of sort of personal work, which, you know, some actors find to be a necessary part of their grounding. So he's wonderfully spiritual in that way. Michael Orlando Trujillo is an actor um, who just got married last year. Very right. an actor. Um, and he's funny because every now and then he will post about being an older person who got married. And as somebody who did, I got married two years ago. You know, it's like, well, people just sort of give up on you and think you'll never do it, but we did. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it gives me hope. Hang in there. <laughs> uh, Kevin Ralston, also another actor, Bay Area actor, um, did a wonderful one-man piece, um, and I love that people who do their stuff through the marsh. He um, had a one-man piece a couple of years ago, I think it was. Uh, Darlene Mc Miyakawa is um, stage manager, production manager. She's got the funniest posts on Facebook because she just talks about things like she gets in a production and suddenly people are coming at her like, so you're the person who makes coffee, right? <laughs> and if you know anything about stage managers, that's like like yeah. in the union, that's actually in the contract yeah, that yeah, it is yeah. not <laughs> their job. Yeah. Uh, Sarah Shroud uh, Shord 
I mispronounced her name, Shord, um, is um, if you remember a few years ago, three hikers accidentally went into, I think it was um, Iran. They accidentally oh, yeah. hiked into yeah. Iran and got grabbed. She was one of those. Oh, wow. And she's come back and she's done all kinds of activism, including theater work. And she did a play called The Box is maybe a couple of years ago um, that did very well in San Francisco um, about um, incarceration and mm-hmm. um, our ridiculous solitary confinement mm. stuff. Mm. So those are um, birthdays. Uh, Eureka Doy Walker is her official last name because she's married. Um, she um, created the No Theater, uh, Theater of Yugen. Oh, the no yeah, space. Yeah. Um, Zira Berkman is a local actress, wonderful, powerful actress. Gabriel Kinney, young actor, does musical theater, does other things. Lenny Abadia, uh, Filipina mm. um, actress. Ben Yalom, who runs, oh, why am I spacing? Fool's Fury. Um, mm-hmm. They Heard create that. pieces. Um, they do a lot of work in different um styles of theater they do a lot of workshopping and such and uh, mark ruthier who um is also bay area theater actor uh, director producer amazing man these are all the birthdays i have for the week so my birthday is uh eli sony or kiza oh, mm-hmm. uh he was part of the he was one of the actors for uh the playwright center for san francisco just met him uh i think he was just for the third was he just for the third week I think so. But in any case, he's a fantastic Filipino actor, and we'll hopefully have him in the chair very soon. His birthday is tomorrow, as well as Cecilia mm. Palmtag. I just yeah. talked about her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, uh, she, I don't think she acts or directs anymore. She has a family now, and right. I think she's allowed that to take care of, which is a shame because she's a fantastic actress. Mm-hmm. She was in uh, Head of Gobbler, which uh, was done by Off-Broadway West, and she directed Lifetimes 3. Her birthday's tomorrow. Uh, Wednesday, Lauren Grace, who is a fantastic uh, actress. She did Desdemona in Othello, and I'm looking at a poster of hers right there Mm -hmm. uh, with Paul Santiago. Um, On Thursday, her birthday is Wednesday. Thursday, my dad, Reg Clay Sr., dad, happy birthday. Love you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much. I didn't know you were a junior. I am. Reg Clay Jr., Reg Clay (laughs) Sr. Uh, And on Friday... um, a fantastic uh, I, um, Israeli actor, Avi Jacobson, mm-hmm. and he and I shared the stage on 110 in the Shade, and uh, he turned 64 on Friday. Wow. And so that's so it for birthdays. Happy birthday to you all, and if you're doing <laughs> shows or you just want to promote some other show, let us know. Yep. <laughs> shows. Um, well, I went to see the Central Work show, um, King Kuba, and it mm-hmm. uh, just extended. So you got the, two more weeks to until to see o- that. August twenty sixth. Yes, yeah, and we have yeah. a plug for that. Amazing show, Margaret Gomez, this um, local, you know, homegrown comedian who actually has been back and forth between here and LA, working a lot, doing different things, um, is amazing as the lead role El Comandante because it's a comedy mm. they never actually say Fidel mm-hmm. but that's that's basically who she's playing she does a wonderful job um, and then Steve Ortiz this um, actor I went to San Francisco State with and um, and has just matured in this wonderful way and he plays sort of the foil in this in this storyline um, he's fantastic it's, it's a really tight cast wonderful work um, in that tiny space at the mm-hmm. Berkeley City Club. So that one I wanted to put a shout-out for. Um, this weekend, right now, Vallejo Shakes is in town. I'm 
not sure what flight they're doing. I just I always promote it because um, I uh, the Peralta House, Peralta Hacienda House has um, a little outdoor stage, and so they actually um, bring their own stuff in and set up. They do Vallejo, they do this. I think Crockett they um, added to their list of places that they take their show now. So they have a little bit of a tour that goes around in Oakland. Hasn't had Shakespeare since the SF Shakes used to do it, it years ago. Measure. Is it measure for measure? Measure for measure. Wow. There you go. Coolness. So, yeah, that those are the big shows. Big shows. Those are the shows that come mm-hmm. to mind most quickly. Um, I'm going to be doing a reading. I'll probably have to talk about it next week. Cause I yep. I, I'm doing a reading, too. Ah. <laughs> measure for measure. One of my favorite quotes is some rise by sin and some by virtue fall. Uh, that's also a quiz show. If you ever saw the the movie oh, quiz, quiz show, show. yeah, uh-huh. about the uh, the scandal of right. 1954. Yeah, I think um, it was 1950s. Yeah, $64,000 question. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, so measure for measure. Those are the ones. Do you have any shows that you'd like to promote? Um, well, definitely SF Olympians, which mm-hmm. I mentioned before. That's going to be um, started yeah in October. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's see. I, I and I actually have not been able to get out much uh, mm-hmm. to see uh, nearly as much theater as I want to because I have a four year old mm-hmm. and he's like not quite at the age where you can like bring him to things and yeah. get him to sit still. Yeah. Um. But tonight, um, my husband's gonna watch him and I'm like so ridiculously excited. I'm gonna go and see Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor <gasps> Dreamcoat nice. uh-huh. at um, Woodminster Amphitheater, yeah. which I've not actually been there before. It's but up like, in the hills here. In yeah. I've never seen it. It's such, it's so corny, but like mm-hmm. I've been obsessed with the music. So yeah, I'm gonna nice. go see that that's tonight, and yeah. I'm um, I'm super excited. Yeah, and then like yeah, a lot of um, the theaters that I that I've mentioned are having you know great shows coming up. I think Custom Made is doing In the Heights. Uh, I don't I don't uh-huh, know I right. don't know the dates on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can look it up at their website. Um, yeah. Yeah, and there are a couple. So I, you mentioned King of Cuba, mm-hmm. and they're running King the, they, Cuba. King, uh, yeah, King Cuba. Okay, I have that written down wrong. Mm-hmm. But in any case, uh, yeah, they've extended their run, so obviously they're doing well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so their run ends August the twenty-sixth, and I have a plug for that, so you can click on that. Mm-hmm. Also, Bindlestiff Studios has Stories High eighteen. That's ah, another place. Yay. That's new another work. place where you can yeah. submit new works. Mm-hmm. So that can be you know a venue uh-huh. uh, for you. They uh, do it. They they their run opened on August the sixteenth. Mm-hmm. It yeah begins August sixteenth and ends the twenty fifth. And we'll have a plug in for that. The Alterina Playhouse has one man one man oh. two governors, huh. and I believe Avi Jacobson will be in that. Uh, that's oh. August the tenth through September the ninth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cutting Ball Theater is doing Uncle Vanya. Mm. Wow! And I've talked with the director because I wanted to get someone in from Cutting Ball. Who's the director? The director is it's not Rob. No, no, no. It's a woman. Uh, Paige Rogers. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wrote her a nice little email uh. basically saying, hey, you know, I know you're doing something at Cutting Ball. Would you like to appear on the Yay? And she's mm-hmm. like, yes. And she listens to the Yay. She listened to wow. um, it, uh, when I interviewed uh, – who's the director of um, Rhinoceros? John Fisher. Oh, yeah, John Fisher, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. she – She's a fan, so that's fantastic. So that's yeah, that's Uncle cool. Vanya Cutting Ball Theater mm-hmm. that opens September twenty first, closes October twenty first. Mm-hmm. So you have some time for that. Avenue Q Coastal Rep Theater. Oh right, Half Moon Bay. <coughs> exactly. <laughs> From July twenty seventh till August twenty sixth. Oh, so uh, a couple yeah. more weeks. A couple of more weeks. Mm-hmm. And as we mentioned before, San Francisco Olympians Festival. Um, 
nine, number nine, mm-hmm. that opened uh, that opens October the third, and it goes through the twentieth at the Exit Theater. Uh, not only do we have uh, Bellona, which mm-hmm. is your piece, uh, directed by Jerome Gentes, but we there, Alan Coyne has a piece called Trivia. Wow, which will be op- that'll mm-hmm. be on the twentieth. Your piece, Bellona. Mm-hmm. That will be thirteenth. Oh, the thirteenth. Thank yes. you so much. Uh, <laughs> you saved me. <laughs> oh, that's coming up. Wow. Um, uh, two other ones. I'm going to see the word for word. So they're doing an anniversary thing, and it opens mm-hmm. this weekend. I'm going to go see it tonight. Um, it's a Tobias Wolf short story and a George Saunders short story. A very twisted story called Victory Lap. Okay. Um, which I love word for word when you read a story and you go. How the hell are you going to put this up on stage? Mm-hmm. So that, that's coming, and then um, Elizabeth Carter is directing for Color Girls, who have committed, who have considered Su- suicide, suicide when the rainbow is not. Uh, yeah, um, and that's coming up soon. I don't know; it's not, it's yeah. not immediate, but it's coming up soon. You so. know, I put an email to Elizabeth Carter, and uh, I guess she's a busy woman, but we'd love to have. I her put an email to her the other day, and she's a personal friend of mine, and I haven't heard back from her. So, <laughs> so I don't take I it think personally. She's in the throes of <laughs> rehearsal right yeah. now. And on Friday, I'll be doing a stage reading of a good friend of mine, Paul Harkness, who came to our last reading of Four Men in Paris. Mm. Um, and mm-hmm. he has a piece called Hollowed Ground, mm-hmm. which is basically about – it happens in the turn of the century. These are uh, old Civil War veterans who uh-huh. are meeting for a reunion. Mm-hmm. Oh. And you have a mix of Confederate as well as Union veterans, and they get into a right. big spat. But it's all about um, – Closure and, um, mm-hmm. you know, binding and, and, and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. I and think that somebody tried to get me for that because they oh, were that look, right? they're looking for an older actor. Yeah. Well, they got me, so I, I yes. guess. <laughs> so uh, that'll be on August the 17th. But I, I don't think it's open for the audience. I think it's just a closed reading. Mm-hmm. But that's part of the, um, the Berkeley Rep uh, class that I took. Oh, uh, okay. Gary oh, Grace. the playwriting. Okay, Yeah, cool. exactly. Which also... Will it be um, at the City Club? Yes. Okay. Same oh, place. Cool. Okay. And, um, oh, no, 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 no. It's going to be at the, uh, the Berkeley Rep. I guess they have, they have class, they have yeah, th- their, there's um, a space, yeah, oh. yeah rehearsal space, yeah. yeah. And also Marsha Roberts, who was also involved in the Playwright Center, mm-hmm. she also was a classmate of, of that. So oh, cool. if there are any budding playwrights who want to get into a class, the Playwright Center, directed by, uh, who, te- taught by Gary Graves, that'd mm-hmm. be a place, place to go. Berkeley mm-hmm. Rep, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Cool. Bridget, did you have a wonderful time? Hopefully. Absolutely. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. All right. So let me give you my blurb. You can find the Yay on the Apple Podcast app on all iPhones and iPads. You can also find the Yay on iTunes. Just click on iTunes, click on Store, use the search engine on the upper right-hand side and search for the Yay. You can find us. For Android users, download the SoundCloud app or just go on SoundCloud.com and search for the Yay. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise, if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, <laughs> Instagram. You can find me, Reg Space Clay, and Hoosier Hoosier for Norman. Mm-hmm. I know you're on um, Twitter, but are you also on Instagram? I'm on Instagram. I have no idea <laughs> what I'm doing with Instagram. Yeah. So I, I get notifications telling me something's mm-hmm. going on, and then I go in and go, ooh. <laughs> People I know, pictures of them. That's nice. I, <laughs> right, I'm exactly. still figuring it out. What about you, Bridget? Are you on? Um, I'm on Facebook. Um, I have a Twitter account. It's BD Portman, but I'm kind of like like you on on Instagram. Like I I don't. I've tried Twitter so many times, and I just right. like can't quite do it. So right. 
Yeah, yeah I'm still <laughs> trying to figure it out. It's and I'm not on an, anything else, but um, I do have a website, BridgetDebtApportment.com. Nice. We'll, well plug that. We'll plug that. We'll, awesome. we'll add that Thank on you. there. So there you go, folks. So just tell us how you feel about the yay. Uh, hit us up on Facebook or all of those other things, and we'll take it from there. We've and we've got to find, find a better, better sign-off. Sign off. <laughs> <laughs>